My name is Elizabeth. I just want you to know I never listened to I Doubt It with Jesse Dollamore because he reminds me of Sarah Limbaugh, and I don't like him. Bye. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Episode 675 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I'm your host, Jesse Dollamore, joined today by the lovely, the talented, and the scholarly, Brittany Page. So we always have this debate. Always. <laughs> we, 24-7. Zero. We're engaged in this debate. Cease, ceaselessly having this debate. Continuous. I can't think of any other. Which, <laughs> which is more cool? The fact that you are blocked by Donald Trump on Twitter or the fact that President Barack Obama follows me on Twitter. Now, I think that something finally happened that pushed us toward your situation being cooler. Better to be dead than a fucking dork. That doesn't apply here. It really applies here. At all. But you love your drops. <laughs> um, How dare you laugh with that sinister, mocking tone? How fucking dare you? How dare you, sir? So I think we finally have encountered something that pushes us toward you being blocked by Trump on Twitter being cooler than than me being followed by President Barack Obama. And that is that... You had the Knight Foundation, right? Mm, from Columbia, that's right. I reach, see where you're going. Reach here. out to you because you are still blocked by Donald Trump on Twitter, even though he was told yes. that he cannot do that. Yeah. Somebody on Twitter reached out to me and sent me forwarded me a tweet that they had said, Hey, if you're still blocked by Donald Trump, reach out. So I reached out a couple weeks ago or longer and I and didn't hear back. I'm like, ah, that just went into a spam folder or something. And then this last week, I got an email from them, and they said, hey, listen, um, there are certain criteria that we have worked out, I guess, with the Justice Department, where Donald Trump is going to have to unblock. Like, if he blocked you while he was a civilian, he doesn't have an obligation to unblock. Right. Also- Which makes sense. They also said that if you if you have a screenshot or you can point to the exact tweet that caused the blocking, then that's also an element. So I, I, in my initial reach out, I just happened to include the information they needed and they got back to me and they have, they asked for my consent to forward the information on to the DOJ, which of course I gave and they immediately, I mean, within minutes got back to me and said, okay, we have, we had forwarded your information on to the DOJ. We'll let you know what, what happens. Nice. So you may see... One step closer. Well, because it has been kind of difficult for you. When you are in your personal Twitter account at Dollamore, you cannot see yeah. Donald Trump's tweets. You'll, you'll when, see conversations. You'll see people yeah. retweeting them. You'll see all that. But you cannot see what he's saying. So when you say it's been difficult for me, 
the, let's put that in context. It's make it, it has made my workflow. Well, first of all, just no, from, no, no. Your morning from, from the higher from the higher perspective of the ideological element of this, he is violating my First Amendment rights under the Constitution of the United States. That is no small thing. That's a big, big deal. However, from an inconvenience standpoint, it is it's really fucked with my workflow. Yeah, but you're also mourning being able to see the daily wisdom and <laughs> encouragement, inspiration. Yeah. You you really I mean he's need he's a, that he, in your life. He's a selfless, empathetic leader, a champion of our times, Brittany Page, and I I I wanna I wanna take part in that. Yeah, you can't miss out on that anymore. We need to put an end to it. No, I don't take responsibility at all. You know, he's, it's the real issue. He's a good guy. Yeah. Well, hopefully you see some sort of resolution there and you will be able to see his tweets in your own account and not have to go to a different account in order to see the president of the United yeah, States I tweets. Yeah, come on. I have to create a separate fucking Twitter account just to interact with the president of the United States of America. Mm-hmm. And also... What kind of a of an insecure, whiny, sniveling, servile mutt is Donald Trump? Is the president of the United States of America that he blocked my dumbass on Twitter? Because I invoked the name of John McCain, by the way. Yeah, and I was praised gonna... John McCain. Yeah, I was going to say, they asked if you had the tweet that initiated the blocking, and apparently you do, which surprises me. I don't know how you would know which tweet was the final nail in the coffin. Well, it's because I tweeted it before I went to bed and woke up blocked. Mm. It was something about John McCain having more courage and duty and honor in his little fingers. You know, something. It wasn't some masterful tweet, but it was some, you know, it was, I got under his skin because it's, uh... About his arch nemesis. Yeah. The the polar opposite of a, what a Republican is to Donald Trump is John McCain. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have your criticisms for John McCain, c- certainly you can. But uh, among Republicans, he was a, a god among men. The thing, the very thing that Republicans want Donald Trump to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that is good news. Yeah. We're looking, I'm uh, excited about it. We're looking forward to hearing the result. Yes. Mm -hmm. So we have some follow-up before we get to listener communication. What do you want to start with? I want to talk a little bit about the Tara Reid, Joe Biden thing, Mm -hmm. because let's just start there. We're here. (laughs) (laughs) And then the other thing is um, unemployment in in the United States. Also some bots. Oh, and the bot thing, too. Yeah. So uh, where do you want to... Where do you want to start? How do we start this? I thought you just made a decision. No, 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 no. Where do we start in talking about it? Okay, so Tara Reid. Um, we have that's a great place to start. We have <laughs> Tara Reid. Obviously, has accused Joe Biden of sexual assault, having cornered her when she worked for him in the nineties. Yeah, and uh, accused him of penetrating her with his fingers. And um, she had originally said that he had, you know, sexually harassed her, the shoulders, the hair, you know, the typical things that we hear about Joe Biden. Talking about her sexy legs or whatever. And then I believe it was March of this year she was interviewed and added the sexual assault allegation to those other allegations. So 
when that happened, it took about a month for the media to really pick up the story and start talking about it. I mean, the media outside of like this small podcast that Tara Reid had appeared on. I honestly don't know if it's small. I'm just calling it small because I don't know about it, which I'm realizing is very short-sighted. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> outside outside of that, the media didn't really start reporting the story until like April. And so we talked about it. We, we dedicated an entire episode to uh, 670. Right. To 270. And we recommend you go back and listen to that if sure. you if you want to kind of go through the full weight of what was happening at the time. But... As is the case with most things, evidence has continued to come out. When we first talked about Tara Reid, we encouraged the audience to follow the evidence, right? We said that this is something that we likely will never know 100% what happened, right? The only two people that actually know what happened are Tara Reid and Joe Biden. And that this is a matter of what's most likely, right? And... At the time we recorded that episode, we both came down on the position that if we're leaning one way or the other, we lean toward believing Tara Reid. That's right. Given the evidence we have at this very moment, and this is speaking back then, I'm believing Tara Reid right now as it stands. Right. Like we said, additional evidence has come out, and it really goes to the heart of Tara Reid's credibility. And we cautioned people about this too, right? Because there were certain articles that were coming out that didn't really get to the heart of the credibility issue with Tara Reid. There was a recent, I believe it was a Politico article where they like talked to her former landlords and like people who knew her. Right. Well, it's like throughout a, her it, life. It's a weak stab at credibility, but it's if your landlord doesn't like you, that doesn't speak to whether or not this is in your character to lie about a rape a- allegation. That's just. Maybe you're a bad tenant. Maybe you you have a personality issue with this person. It's not going to the evidence. Well, I mean, take any person in the world and talk to, I mean, other than Keanu Reeves, and talk to people who know them, <laughs> and you're going to have people who dislike you yeah. and are like, yeah, that person is a dick face. Yeah, you're, you're, you're singing my song specifically. Oh. I'm not for everybody. And if all those who hated my fucking guts or dislike me or get rubbed the wrong way by me... Three quarters of the audience would fucking be able to make that case because I'm an abrasive guy. So recently, here was the first thing that really came up that had me thinking, oh, this is an issue of credibility for sure. She claims to have graduated from Antioch University. And that is a word that I very much have trouble saying when I'm looking at it. I need to look away from it in order to pronounce it. Is it kind of like Yosemite? It is very much like Yosemite. She said she graduated from there under a quote-unquote protected program and then became a visiting professor. The university has denied all this, specifically to CNN. They said that there was never such a program. She claims that she went to this program after she got a temporary restraining order against her ex-husband and then had to change her name because she was a victim of domestic violence. Mm -hmm. Well, this university says there was never such a program for domestic violence victims, no protected program, and that she never graduated, nor was she ever a faculty member. Yeah, those are big fucking lies. That she provided, quote, several hours of administrative work. Yeah. Right. So this is that's pretty big when you're when you're looking at credibility issues, someone misrepresenting their credentials, someone misrepresenting their 
career. Yeah. Also, let me add this. She also has testified as an expert in domestic violence. Let me also... For nearly a decade. Yeah, in cases. And let me preface this by saying, not really a preface since I'm in the middle of saying it, but just because you've been domestically abused does not make you an expert in that particular field or 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 study well and that goes back to the the university claims right claiming that she had graduated from this protected program and like you're saying for nearly a decade in california she worked as an expert on domestic violence cases and her testimony was used in courtroom prosecutions and now according to the new york times as a result of these questions about her education Public defenders in California have started reviewing yeah. the cases where she was involved and where her involvement helped lead to a conviction because there's now concern that she didn't have the expertise that she claimed to have. So this is having ramifications down the line of these cases that she took part in. Yeah. I mean, another credibility issue. Actual people who who were absolutely guilty of of domestic violence which has all kinds of ripple effects where like they have they, they lose their right to own a weapon all these things might be overturned those convictions very well could be overturned because of these series of colossal um damaging lies that she has told misrepresenting herself so i also just... i want to talk about two more things okay Two key corroborators for her story, one was an anonymous friend who worked in the U.S. Senate with her, had, according to the AP Associated Press, confirmed Tara Reid's original account account of the sexual harassment. And then when Reid added assault to her allegation in March of this year, that friend also added the details to her own recollection related to the assault. So when Tara Reid updated her... um, I think the brother did the same exact thing, too. Yes, her brother did that as well. He updated his corroboration. Initially, he told the Washington Post that he heard a different story that didn't involve the sexual assault. And then later he texted to say that Reed had told him about the additional assault allegation. So there's still, by the way, the neighbor. Let's let's remember the neighbor had also corroborated the story and said that she remembers Tara Reed telling her about the fingers and the skirt. And she had that very powerful quote where she said you don't forget something like that yeah yeah, right so well which point which goes to my point about these other two people you don't forget something like that you don't remember vividly sexual harassment and then oh yeah i totally forgot about when he digitally penetrated her that's that's not something that happens no it just doesn't. I mean, let's say it happens. You mean, with- you mean for someone telling, a victim telling someone their story. No, no, no. I'm the talking The person about- who remembers the story isn't going to forget. That's right. right. The person who's recalling being told about something right. in a contemporaneous fashion doesn't forget the big thing. If you say, yeah, I had a fender bender, and oddly enough, my passenger was decapitated. Years later, when you tell the story, you don't remember the fender bender, but forget the decapitation. That's not <laughs> that's not how it works. Maybe with one person, but not multiple people forgetting that one giant thing. Like you said, there's absolutely still that uh, dangling neighbor that's dangling out there that that needs to be addressed. Also, for me, let me just I'll spoiler alert. I'm leaning toward not believing her now. 
leaning that way, but it's it's super difficult because there are still elements of her story that can't be just explained away. Like, for instance, the Larry King call from the mom. Right. That's that's hanging out there. It still is, is, is in the back of my mind. Well, and I, I want to say that for people who are listening to this, who from the very beginning have been dismissive and acting as though they are Donna Rotuno, Harvey Weinstein's defense attorney, <laughs> just because additional... Or Sylvia Brown, the psychic. Just because additional evidence has come out that has now highlighted real concerns with Tara Reid's credibility doesn't mean that you get to run around saying, I knew it. I knew all along. Because you didn't. Yeah. You didn't have evidence That's right. to support your disbelief it, in Tara like, Reid's uh, allegation. If, in the beginning, if you ignored all of, the, all of the things that we've talked about, and then you say you were right, and then it beca- turns out ultimately that maybe you were, you flipped a coin. You weren't you weren't analyzing and weighing the different um, elements of, of the of the story. You were just no. Joe Biden didn't do this. Well, and here's what I respect. I respect people that are genuinely grappling grappling with this and doing it in good faith. And one of those people is Kate Mann. And Kate Mann is a philosopher. She's a I believe a professor at Cornell and she's a feminist, a prominent feminist on Twitter. And she wrote a piece for the nation a few weeks ago where she wrote, quote, Reed's testimony is evidence that the sexual assault occurred, though there remains room to disagree on its strength or probable value. She says there's also room to change one's mind when new evidence comes to light. And she wrote a thread here going through the questions about Tara Reid's credibility and how she doesn't know what to believe anymore, but that she wants to revise her previous position, Mm. right, as a thought leader for people who respect her view, right, that she no longer feels the way that she did. And again, this is what we want to see more of, right? Not people who double down. Not people who refuse to follow the evidence where the evidence leads because it may take them to a place that's uncomfortable, but someone who's willing to grapple with the reality on reality's terms and ask these difficult questions, but doing it in good faith, which, which I believe that we have done, right? It's been difficult, but I feel like we've done a good job at that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So I, I just, I get a little screamy at times. Yeah, but I, I, I'm almost positive that I prefaced everything in, in, in that 670 episode by saying, "Listen, I don't want to believe." I, I know I said that a million times. I don't want to believe this, but given what we know, I tend to believe it. I, so we, listen, I want to encourage everybody out there to practice this thing that is so fucking difficult, and I'm still. I'm somewhere in the middle between the allegation and it being false or it being true, but I'm leaning toward the Joe Biden side now. Well, because even let's say the things that we just talked about still are not necessarily evidence that this didn't happen, right? It it goes to the question of her credibility. It's only evidence that she's willing to tell big time lies. Right. That's it. Yeah. It goes to a question of her credibility. That's it. It's not evidence uh, against this happening. I mean, we still don't know. Liars still get raped. Right. I mean, that's ultimately something that needs to be said. Absolutely. Right. And, And so that's what makes this so difficult is you... 
In the absence of actual evidence of a crime being committed, you try to look for other things, right? And and that's why these issues of credibility are coming up. And these are pretty big issues of credibility, these sure. things that we just talked about. The landlord issue, the people that didn't like her throughout her life. No, those aren't relevant. Right. But, but the lying about your credentials, misrepresenting your credentials in courtroom testimony. I mean, these are these are big things. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So anyway, we'd love to know what you think. Absolutely. 657-464-7609. Email those voice memos and old-fashioned emails to idoubtit at dollamore.com. So now the bots. Now the bots. And this is follow-up too. On the last episode, we we read some numbers. We've actually been reading numbers pretty often about how Americans feel about reopening, how they feel about quarantine, how they feel about masks. And we keep reiterating that despite what you see in viral videos of people behaving poorly, the majority of Americans support continued quarantine. They support the wearing of masks, do not view it as a weakness, and they support things reopening, but slowly. I mean, not not everybody. Better to be dead than a fucking dork. But most people, the vast majority, in fact. Right. And so some people may have listened to that and said, huh, that doesn't fit with my experience on the internet. I see a lot of people tweeting that they should reopen America. We need to reopen America, get the economy going. Well, part of that may be bots. Yeah. And I don't want to be the person that says anytime you see something that you don't agree with, it's I, a bot. I see that <laughs> all the time on Twitter. People will, will, will chime in on something I've said on Twitter and they'll push back. And then there's just this cacophony of, of I don't want to call it abuse, but, oh, okay, whatever, bot. It's like, that person's not a bot. Mm-hmm. They're just fucking wrong. Yeah. But in this case, when it comes to the lifting of the shutdown orders in the United States, new research suggests that bots online are dominating this conversation. So Carnegie Mellon University researchers analyzed over 200 million tweets discussing COVID-19 and related issues since January and found that roughly half the accounts including 62% of the 1,000 most influential retweeters appeared to be bots. Wow, what was that percentage? 62% of the 1,000 most influential retweeters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. According to the report, that's a far higher level of bot activity than usual, even when it comes to contentious events. The level of bot involvement in discussions about things like U.S. elections or natural disasters is typically 10 to 20%. And it does drive the the conversation and the contention in the conversation. Because there isn't the kind... uh, And one, Twitter is certainly a polarized space on the internet. Absolutely, yeah. It doesn't doesn't represent the the reasonable sides of the issue. It doesn't represent that 76% or whatever Democrats agree with masks and like 56% or whatever it was with Republicans. It doesn't represent that, but it oftentimes does get the headlines from the media, mm-hmm. which lead us to believe that there's a bigger problem out there than there is. Yeah. Um, I, I also want to highlight this. The researchers said they found that among tweets about 
quote-unquote, reopening America. 66% came from accounts that were possibly humans using bot assistance to spread their tweets more more widely, while 34% came from bots. So I hadn't really heard about that. Um, possibly human using bot assistance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but but they gave some explanations for this surge in bot activity. They they said that it could be that people have like more time to set up elaborate bot networks because they're at home at home with nothing to do. And <laughs> right, um, there's it maybe increased availability of bot nets for hire, which has apparently exploded recently. Which is again something I did not know about. So <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, when you gain your following organically it is i mean a couple years ago it was a big thing to buy twitter followers and that's a i don't i mean i just don't i don't get that but a lot of people work in that headspace yeah yeah well and i i think they made an important point here about even if you feel like the tweet that you're reading is from a reputable source but you don't really know them very well just take a closer look. Yeah. You know, go to a, a trusted source of information that you actually know. If you see a tweet from somebody and you're like, mm, this seems too good to be true. I don't know who this is. That's a feeling you should listen to and follow and go to a trusted source of information that you know, like PolitiFact, Snopes. I know people shit on mainstream media, but they, they are the ones with the resources yeah, to track yeah. shit down. So... It, Washington Post, New York Times, right? I mean, it, they they can be wrong. But. It, it is also, I mean, you see this, and this isn't necessarily a thing about bots, but it is about credibility online and on Twitter spe- specifically. God damn. Um, the, you, I will see people from like Daily Wire, The Daily Caller, uh, Breitbart, you know, right-wing extremist type of platforms who will say breaking, blah, 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 whatever it is, no link. The next tweet, there's no follow-up tweet with a link to the story. It's just saying something and then not backing it up with any citation whatsoever. Mm -hmm. That's a fucking problem because real journalists don't fucking do that. Yeah, I'm always suspicious of some big claim that is made just by someone typing something out in a tweet and then there's no link for mm-hmm. me to go figure out where that information came from, how they put that together. I'm always questioning that. And when I see people retweeting it, I get nervous because I think, ooh, it's so easy to spread yeah. misinformation on Twitter in particular because it's, it's just short <laughs> that, but also it's like short little, uh, you know, 240 character limit tweets. And then you have that retweet button yeah. and you just retweet, retweet, and it just can spread to especially, thousands and thousands of people es- quickly. Especially if it lends itself to um, bolstering your worldview. Absolutely. To backing up what you think already. Right. Anyway, something to, to think about, certainly if you're navigating the, the Twitter space. All right. Uh, next Piece of follow-up, again, before we get to the listener communication. Uh, We talked last time a little bit about uh, the unemployment rate and exactly where we are in the economy right now. And part of that element is, I mean, obviously, we have a high unemployment rate. We have like 40 million Americans out of work. And and a, a large chunk of those people are receiving unemployment benefits. And there's this new thing out there. And when when Brittany and I first reviewed this clip to play, it's from CNN, Brittany was you're kind of bothered by how they 
how they framed this argument. Yeah, I just think there wasn't a lot of context given to the reality of what un- unemployment is for a lot of people. So I think it's best to play it first and then talk about it, but give that, I guess, trigger warning up front, knowing that we're going to have some issues. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, and specifically, the, the, the name of the, of, the, of the video, if you want to go watch the whole entire thing in context, is woman makes more from unemployment than when she worked. Tonight, another 2.4 million Americans filing for first-time unemployment benefits, which brings the total to nearly 40 million since the pandemic began. But now employers are facing another problem, getting their employees to come back to work. Kyung La is out front. Hello. How's it going? My name is Andrew, and I'm calling from Reliable Staffing. As businesses look to reopen... I will work with you during the COVID situation. Job recruiters like Andres Nunez search for people to take the jobs. Yet one out of every five calls he makes. They don't want to come out. They don't want to come out because the price isn't right. How does unemployment fit into that piece? People would rather just get the unemployment. Because in many cases, it pays more. Unemployment benefits average more than $350 a week nationwide in state benefits plus an additional $600 per week in federal stimulus funding. Before unemployment, I was lucky to make between $250 and $300 a week. This recent college graduate, who asked her name not be used, was laid off from a bowling alley in Ohio in March. Her untaxed unemployment is three times her old take-home pay. I have been able to pay off my car three months early. You are making more money not working. What is, what do you think about that? It's lessening the stress of going back to work. Exposure to the virus is the biggest concern, she says, as the economy reopens. If the bowling alley calls and says, we want to hire you back, but you have this option of unemployment, which one do you choose? <sighs> See, that, that's actually a hard question. This is the first time I felt financially stable in a long time. But then again, I'm very much the type of person where I like to feel like I'm earning my money in the same way. Like everyone has, in my mind, a right to live comfortably and not have to worry. And I think this level of unemployment money is allowing that to happen. How you doing, guys? But that doesn't help employers like Josh Souter. I have, you know, employees that won't return my calls. I had one employee show up and quit two days later to go back on unemployment. Souter runs a drunken crab in North Hollywood, California. When we met him at the beginning of the coronavirus crisis, he had just laid off 75 employees. I'm worried about having a heart attack, to be perfectly honest with you. Today, his dining room sits empty, carry out only. Unemployment verification requests are delivered by the handful. Okay, would you like ranch with your Cajun fries? A few employees are back. As far as the others? The amount of money that people are making on unemployment right now, quite honestly, is more than what we were paying them before. Do you feel like you're competing? with unemployment? No question. I don't blame them, uh, but we do need workers to come back eventually. This is a limited amount of money that you will receive for a limited amount of time that will run out. Now that federal stimulus money, the $600 per week, is set to expire at the end of July. And the woman you heard from, the unemployed woman you heard from in that story, says that this entire experience, Erin, has taught her that her wages are simply not high enough. Neither are the wages of a lot of hourly employees like the ones who work at this theater, especially when you consider college loans and health care. 
So this reminded me of a tweet that we actually put on the page on the 20th, three days ago. And it's from Jacob Liebenluft. Mm-hmm. And he said, we'll go with that. He says, <laughs> quote, a plea for reporters. When describing the $600 bump in unemployment insurance benefits, please mention what replacement rates would be without it. I doubt most readers know that in normal times and after July 31st until Congress acts, unemployment insurance typically covers only 30 to 50 percent of lost income. Yeah. Put another way, when Trump and Senate GOP call for the $600 bump to expire, they are proposing an absence of an alternative that 20 to 30 million unemployed live on less than half their previous income until the economy recovers. Yeah. That's important context. This, listen, I I do, I'm not completely uh, unsympathetic to the plight of this restaurant owner. I'm not. But we shouldn't, this argument shouldn't be framed of, oh my God, look at all the money they're making on unemployment. It should be, look how fucking little these people make in their real life. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. She's taking home $250 to $300 a week. Mm -hmm. So we shouldn't say, oh, well, we can't pay her unemployment that much. Because she's making more than she did. The question should be put to the bowling alley. Or this Justin Souter. Like, well, then pay your people more. If they're making more, way more money on an unemployment that is unsustainable because it's going to end at the end of July, then pay your people more. Well, and also, when you, when you, I'm happy he said, I don't blame them, right? Yeah. Because that's an admission in a way, right? I'm not paying enough. I don't blame them. You heard her say, I paid off my car faster than I thought I would have in three months. Why wouldn't someone who is making $250 to $300 a week stay on unemployment to alleviate the financial strain and stress that they're under when they're essentially working poor? $300, that's $1,200 a month. That's, where does she live? Mm Mm-hmm. How does she eat? Mm-hmm. I mean, in any municipality across this country, $1,200 a month isn't getting you far. Mm-hmm. You're not paying off debt. And she's also a recent college graduate. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. That is a glaring problem that need, a spotlight needs to be shined on, on this particular issue going forward. That if there are any silver linings through the the trauma that we're experiencing as a, as a from uh, from a global perspective the health crisis that we're in that's something that we need to address going forward the the income disparity in income inequality the, these issues are they're they're not going away and that is why it is important for the government to step in to help out mm-hmm. anyway especially when we like he said 20 to 30 we're over 30 million unemployed Americans. Yeah. yeah. So uh, and and that is going to end that bump, right? The and $600 Mitch, bump. And Mitch McConnell has pledged, he has vowed it's not going to be on the table to to continue it. And I mean this is the administration that's continuing to want to put in place work requirements to receive food assistance as well. I mean, this is not an administration that is on the side of the working poor, people who are struggling to make ends meet. The poor, 
Right? Well, it's, we it's don't not, even need to put qualifiers yeah, on it's it. It's not even the administration. It's not a party that wants to do that. Right. I mean, the, the majority leader of the Senate. Imagine being so out of touch that that's your political agenda. That, nope, fuck them. We're going to make that end. Right. They're going to have to go back to their lives making $1,200 in an entire month and trying to make that stretch. Right. Someone with a college degree. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, let's get the calls on the other side of the break. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash I Doubt It with Dollamore. We would like to thank Eric. Eric! And Glory. Glory! For the PayPal donations, we very much appreciate the beautiful support of the show, whether it comes in the form of a Patreon pledge, a PayPal donation, shopping on Amazon to fatten the pockets of an immoral, soon-to-be trillionaire, or if it comes in the form of just listening to the show, just participating, right? If you're listening to this and you have never communicated with us, you've never sent an email, you've never sent a voicemail or a voice memo, we would invite you to put the contact information into your phone, 657-464-7609, and I doubt it at dollamore.com, so that when the spirit moves you... When the spirits doth move you. You pick up your phone and you move the conversation forward. We also want to thank each and every one of you who takes the time to go and rate and review the show on whatever podcatcher you use. If you're using Apple Podcasts, please do not use profanity because they will not post it. But we very much enjoy reading those and we appreciate you taking the time. Yes, absolutely. All right. Let's get to some listener communication there has speaking of bots and speaking of conspiracy theories and speaking about this this alternative universe that people live in relative to the coronavirus with their wacky conspiracy theories. We got a call. Hey Jesse, hey Brittany, it's Brandon from Kentucky, and I'm an essential worker and I build appliances, home home appliances. I don't think it's essential, but apparently under Kentucky law it is. And so there's a lot of conversation going around about the COVID nineteen. And one of my coworkers, especially, I cannot seem to get through to. She says that Bill Gates owns this virus or is not as bad as everyone says it is. More people die of rabies every year. And I just don't know how to talk to these kind of people. I present facts and everything. I like, like the fact that you need to wear a mask to help prevent the spread. And she goes, says that everyone's just going to get it anyway. It doesn't stop anything from anyone from catching it. Just how do you all deal with people like this? Thanks. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. So before we move on, he very shortly called back uh, with more details about this co-worker. Hey, Jesse. Hey, Brittany. It's Brandon again. I called earlier today about my coworker and her weird conspiracy theories about COVID-19. And holy shit, did I call you all way too soon on this topic because I have an update. Apparently, the people that are dying from COVID-19 aren't really dying of COVID-19 because the hospitals are just saying they are. 
and they're getting money for it for people dying of COVID-19. These are actual words that came out of her mouth. And I was just in shock, and I couldn't believe it. Anyway, just thought I'd update you all on that. Have a good day. Well, Brandon, I would say this, and I don't want to be discouraging about it, but you're not going to be able to use facts to convince someone who doesn't care about facts of your argument. It's it's not going to work. Um, some people are beyond convincing, and they're gonna they're gonna. I think Richard or uh, Richard Dawkins, Jesus, ugh. Uh, Christopher Hitchens said that it's more important to teach people how to think than what to think. And, you know, some people just, they don't know how to think. They don't know what information to give uh, validity to and, and what information to push away. And this might be one of those cases. So I wouldn't waste a bunch of time. Um, I wouldn't waste a bunch of time. Also, it seems, it's, it seems to me, oddly enough, that your coworker, I think you said she, is, uh, is arguing all kinds of different positions to back up the one argument that she's making. I mean, the one argument being uh, not to worry about the coronavirus. Well, she's also saying that Bill Gates owns it, that uh, everybody's going to get it anyway, so don't worry about it. But also, nobody's actually dying from it, that it's it just like there's all kinds. It's like a mishmash. Yeah, it's tough to take on, and it's going to require a lot of patience. It's going to require a lot of empathy. And, I mean, if she senses that you're coming at this from the position of wanting to educate her or wanting to change her mind, there's not going to be a lot of progress that is made. But if you approach this in a way that you get her talking and you can question her in a way that is non-threatening and highlight things that don't make sense but use some you know therapeutic wonderment like I'm kind of I'm kind of confused by what you just said that doesn't really those two things don't really go together for me can you explain like yeah. what this whole in 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 this logic is for me um if you do that kind of thing then it it seems less threatening and the walls are going to come down a little bit but that takes a lot of effort and it's almost like performance art <laughs> in a way <laughs> So it's difficult. Um, but yeah, you can you can give all the facts in the world. I mean, I just Googled how many people die of rabies each year globally, and it's 59,000 people. Globally. So, And as it stands right now, 96,479 Americans have died. So... In three, in three months, almost 100,000 Americans have died in 90 days because of this. A- anyway. Yeah, Brandon... Tough time. Well, I also wanted to talk about the... So the, that's a, an additional conspiracy that he cited, which is the putting of the... the putting COVID-19 on the death certificates. This has been... Donald Trump has talked about this. He has? From the podium, yeah. That it's... That it, it, uh, hospitals are incentivized to call it a COVID death. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so several prominent like people put a white lab coat on and then put glasses on and then record themselves on YouTube and then call themselves doctors. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure they're doctors. It's just, you know, it looks very again, performance art. Yeah, yeah. But the current CDC guidelines are to quote list COVID-19 as the underlying cause of death because it was the disease which initiated the chain of events that directly led to the death. 
The idea is that without these conditions, the outcome may have been different. For instance, like if you have cancer and you're you're all, you know you're you're in like a hospice kind of a situation where you're there's no cure you're dying and you get covid maybe maybe covid wouldn't be the reason mm-hmm. the underlying reason cancer would be the reason well and according to the president of the national association of medical examiners quote this public health data is beneficial to all of us eventually giving us a handle on who is most likely to die of covid-19 yeah. it is not a conspiracy and not a departure from typical practice she added that it is very difficult to manipulate data considering how many checks and balances there are in the us for death invest in the us death investigation system yeah 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 so, but even if you were to say that, again, it wouldn't be convincing enough because these conspiracies are so powerful in that they comfort people's uh, uncertainty, right? It also, gives them certainty where yeah, there is none. They adjust, like loose change has been like updated. It's like, it's like the Nostradamus books that with every revision of the book, they actually change what the, the the prophecy was. Oh, really? To 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 meet whatever change in the data or t- change in the history or whatever. Same thing with like loose change that the 9/11 conspiracy video. They've changed when certain things become too undebunkable. Mm-hmm. when they, you know what I mean? They they change their the video has been updated a bunch of different times. Right. Well, I appreciate anyway. the effort. <laughs> yeah, you know. That's nice. They got to sell videos. Yeah, I'm sure Zeitgeist is still up on YouTube in its original form, convincing the masses. The masses. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Brandon. We appreciate it very much. Uh, Next up, something that we really haven't talked about in a while, and because of, you know, the quarantine and and, and what we've been going through. Hi, Jesse. Hi, Brittany. This is Lynn. I'm checking in from Glendale, Arizona. Um, I've been listening to your podcast for about two years now. I love you guys. Um, I wanted to bring up one point that no one seems to be talking about, and maybe you've heard the news already, um, but there was another mass shooting uh, down the street from me about two miles. So in all of this, all I can say is we're getting so sidetracked with the candidacy and for COVID-19, and nobody's talking about the fact that We've gone months without any national mass shootings. The only reason that we don't have them is because nothing is open. The minute something opened, we've been open in Arizona for days, mere days, and there's a mass shooting two miles from my house. I am outraged that nobody is talking about gun control anymore. Suddenly that's off the table and it's all about the pandemic. I'm grateful for the pandemic at this point because it kept everybody in their house up. For once, I didn't have to worry about my kid going to school and it getting shot up. It is outrageous that none of the candidates are talking about what they're going to do for gun control in the future because, obviously, it's still a problem. The only thing that's stopping them is nothing being open. Now everything's open. Now we have to worry about um, the COVID-19 virus tripling in Cases confirmed here. We went up like 841 two days after Arizona opened. Thank you, Ducey. This is just outrageous. I can't believe that we are still having this conversation in 2020, and I cannot believe that it's not being addressed. Like, how many people need to die? If we're dying by the hundreds of thousands by the time that you play this or you listen to it, probably um, from COVID-19, from an invisible disease that is 
transmits between people. And then now you have people fearing to go out but having to and getting shot up because they finally get out of their house. It is ridiculous. I don't know. That's my two cents. Uh, Jesse, you're the best part. Sorry, Brittany, I love you. Um, but, Jesse, you get it. I hope to talk to you guys soon. You have a great day. Well, thank you, Lynn. It is it is uh, absolutely a problem once we get back on track that's going to come up and be talked about, especially when we start seeing a spate of mass shootings, public mass shootings. There is some, I want to push back on that. There actually has been mass shootings during quarantine, but because of, the, not, not in the, the numbers that we normally see, it is certainly a, a depressed amount. Um, I don't mean depressed as an impression. I mean as in lessened amount. Mm-hmm. Uh, but th- there has been a few. There certainly has been a few. But it is telling that as soon as things open up, you have the shooting in Arizona, which, by the way, didn't get enough coverage. And the reasons behind it didn't get enough coverage. Yeah, he was an incel. and Another incel shooting. According to his statements, he had been thinking about doing this for three to four years, which Ugh. is pretty terrifying because if you think about the other disgruntled men that are online, reading these forums, uh, thinking about doing this, pondering it for years, that's Be- terrifying. Being encouraged to do so by others online. Right. He said that he did this because he wanted respect and he targeted couples when he was out and he had intended to kill 10 people was was his goal, apparently. And three he killed. Um, But I, I want to go back to the call because... So, according to the Gun Violence Archive, a mass shooting is defined as an incident with four or more people being killed or or injured, mm-hmm. excluding the shooter. So, they give a definition for what this is right, right, so right. that you can measure it. And their data shows that the number of mass shootings in April decreased by 21% from the year before. The number of people killed or injured in those shootings decreased by 25%. Um, they say, but with most of America under some kind of stay-at-home order in April, experts say that drop is to be expected. So there was a drop, yeah. but it didn't go to zero. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, certainly, like, school shootings went to zero because nobody's in school. But w- w- the gun problem in America and the gun violence problem in America doesn't just stop at the schoolhouse. The, it is it is an endemic problem all across the country in, in just about every municipality and not just in schools. So it's something we're going to have to get back on track with. Um, and as soon as our our singular focus isn't on the coronavirus. Thanks for the call, Lynn. We appreciate it very much. All right. Moving on. Democracy Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. We have talked about Joe Biden and his penchant for putting his foot into his mouth many, many, many times on this program. He did it again at the end of this last week. In an interview with Charlemagne the God from, the, I believe his radio show is called The Breakfast Club. He's interviewing Joe Biden. I'm going to give you kind of a, we're going to play the clip, but he's interviewing Joe Biden, Joe, some Aide gets on the line and says, I'm sorry, we've got to end this. We got to go. Charlemagne says, well, hey, man, listen, we, you, we want to see you when you're in New York, when we're back, when everything's back. We, I want to finish this interview because black media gets, inter, uh, gets ignored too much. And Joe Biden 
I watched the video multiple times. He's not making a joke. And he says something about if you can't decide between me and Donald Trump, you ain't black. I guess let's just play the clip and then we're going to talk about it. Well, I saw the day that a news report broke that uh, Amy Klobuchar was being vetted. And a lot of people on social media, they're not too happy about that. And um, it's because they want your running mate to be a black woman. I don't know if you saw the op-ed in the Washington Post by some of the leading black women voices in this country. And they feel since black women are such a loyal voting block and black people saved your political life in the primaries this year. They have things they want from you. And one of them is a black woman running mate. What, what do you say to them? What I say to them is that I'm not acknowledging anybody who is being considered, but I guarantee you there are multiple black women being considered. Multiple. Well, you know, Thanks so much. That's really our time. I apologize. You can't do that to black media. You I can't do that to white media and black media because my wife has to go on at six o'clock. Okay. Oh, uh oh, I'm in trouble. Listen, you got to come see us when you come to New York, VP Biden. Cause I a, will. It's a long way until November. We got more questions. You got more okay. questions, but I tell you, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump. And you ain't black. It don't have nothing to do with Trump. It has to do with the fact I want something for my community. I would love to see Take you. Take a look at my record, man. I extended the voting racks 25 years. I have a record that is second to none. The NAACP has endorsed me every time I've run. The war, I mean, come on. Take a look at the record. All right. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Anyway, thanks. I will come back. All right. I look Please. forward to seeing you in person. Okay, absolutely. Okay, pal. Thanks a lot. I thank appreciate you. it. It's just a weird, weird moment. And I've listen, I've seen a lot of people for absolutely the Trump camp has jumped on this, which is just hypocrisy at its best. Because the campaign of, hey, look at my African American over here <laughs> is now saying, Oh, Joe Biden said something racist. Yeah. You maybe you should sit down for a while in the corner over there, Donald Trump team. Yeah. Because your guy is has a record. Mm-hmm. I, I would love to know what what members of our audience who are black think about this. I don't really think it's a it's a space for white people to have a discussion about what blackness is and whether or not this is offensive. It it seems like it is to me. It's a it just it's it is a weird thing to say when you're running for president. If you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black. I also so this this represents a very unfortunate misunderstanding on Joe Biden's part. I don't think that the question is Biden or Donald Trump. Yeah, I think the question is, right. am I not going to vote or am I going to vote for Donald Trump? Well, I mean, I'm sorry, or am I going to vote for Joe Biden? Yeah, he So he's he wants to be just the Trump alternative. He doesn't want to be, no, no, I'm better for America because X, Y, and Z. He wants to be the, yeah, it's Donald Trump or me. Ugh, sorry, guys, you got this is it, what you got. I know. Like, he's joining that, which is strange. I mean, and that's what uh, Charlemagne the God, his response was, it's not about that. I'm looking for what your, like, policies are yeah. that are going to be beneficial. I mean, <laughs> just selling yourself is not as bad as that guy is not <laughs> that's not impressive to anybody no one no one cares about that dude yeah but and you ain't black it's it's remarkable it, it really is and again this goes back to the the, the debate <laughs> i don't know how they're going to train this out of him i don't know how they're going to train 
this out of him so that when he's on that debate stage with Donald Trump, he doesn't sink to Donald Trump's level. Yeah. And he doesn't mouth off like this. It really is a remarkable situation that we it's two old white dudes who believe they can speak with impunity, whatever the fuck they want to say. Listen, if you can't make up your it's 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 another flavor of if you don't like it, don't vote for me. Mm-hmm. Telling someone you ain't black. Also, I love the the little appealing to the black guy he's talking to by using the word ain't. Like he's he's generalizing his language. Like I get that a little bit, where you you kind of informal a little bit, but it's like Hillary Clinton back in the back in the um, two thousand four, I believe it was. Or 2008, when she was using Southern accents at black churches and stuff. It just, it's pandering. It's, it's, it's disrespectful in my view. But again, we'd love to know what, what some of our uh, black audience members think about this, because that's where I take my cue. Does this bother you? And I would ask, if it doesn't bother you, is it just because it's Joe Biden? If this had been anybody else, had, if Donald Trump had said this, what would be your, what would be your take on it? Anyway, 657-464-7609. The other thing I want to talk about is Kaylee McEnany, the new White House press secretary. The gangster. The gangster, if you're uh, Joe Rogan, who, by the way, just signed like a $100 million deal to put his podcast exclusively on Spotify. Good job, Spotify. Don't know if I'm going to be continuing my subscription there. Um Kaylee McEnany had an exchange with uh, Jeff Mason from Reuters the other day where they were talking about opening up the churches because Donald Trump came out and said, listen, if the governors don't open up the churches right now, I'm going to force them to, which he has no constitutionally uh, constitutional authority to do. However, there was a, a, a back and forth asking question, clarifying questions to the gangster. And uh, this went down. And I'd also note there's detailed guidance in here about the way uh, that you can clean your facilities, promote social distancing. So this is something that we should all look at um, and be thankful that we are encouraging these faith communities to reopen and do so in a safe way. Um, and we'll leave it to um, parishes to open in a safe fashion. Yes. Does the White House now support these churches that are defying governor's orders and opening up? The president's been very clear. He wants churches to reopen. He wants them to do it safely. He wants them to do it in accordance with our guidance. It's laid out very detailed. Um, it's posted now, so you can all take a look through it. And he wants to see all of those churches open in a safe fashion. The governor does not allow that. Does the White House support churches defying these executive orders? The president's been very clear. He wants to see churches reopen in accordance with his guidelines. The answer is yes. I just gave you an answer. The president would like churches to reopen and do it in accordance with the guidelines. provision of federal law allows the president to override a governor. The president will strongly encourage every governor to allow their churches to reopen. And boy, it's interesting to be in a room that desperately wants to seem to see these churches and houses of worship stay closed. The president said yes, that yes. he has that. Really, I object to that. I mean, I go to church. I'm dying to go back to church. The question that we're asking you and would like to have asked the president and Dr. Burks is, is it safe? And if it's not safe, is the president trying to encourage that? Or does the president agree with Dr. Burks that people should wait? Jeff, it is safe to reopen your churches if you do so in accordance with the guidelines, which are laid out um, 
very stringent detail here about promoting hygiene practices, and there are five bullet points, and cloth face coverings. Um, if social distancing is not possible, it's recommended. Um, intensifying cleanings, promoting social distance, we lay them out meticulously. Um, so I am thankful that we have a president that celebrates the First Amendment. The same amendment that gives you all the ability to ask me questions is there to have the freedom of worship so imams and pastors um, can go to their churches, can go to their places of worship, and can celebrate what is a First Amendment right in this country, which is to pray to your God and to practice your faith. And we celebrate Chanel. that, too. I just want to follow up by saying we celebrate that, too. And so we should be thankful that there are guidelines to allow not, us to re-engage in that behavior. We're not asking you if, if the president or if people are allowing Americans to pray. That, that's not the To gather in their places asking. of worship to attend church services, to pray together. And the president has laid out a clear path. The CDC has laid out a clear path for this to take place, for our First Amendment to be exercised in a way that is safe and robust. And that is something that is a good thing. And I'm thankful that we have a president who celebrates the First Amendment and helps it to be celebrated in its fullest and mo most robust way possible. Thank you, so I give props to the reporter who challenged Kaylee McEnany on this point. Jeff Mason from Reuters. Of course, we are not of the church-going... Persuasion? Yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm i happy that he stood up for that. Because yeah. the accusation there was, look at all these godless journalists attacking me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And and that was that would be uh, a great image to promote to the campaign. Right? Well, that is what they want. Right. They wanted that moment... These are engineered moments with Kylie McEnany. Right. Because she came from the campaign. Right. So that would have been a beautiful moment for for the campaign. These godless journalists attacking the administration because churches are essential and they're asking all these questions because they don't want churches to be essential. No. The journalist right there said, Yeah. I go to church. I can't wait to go back to church. I reject your assertion. Yeah. Oh, listen, even Scalia said... That if you can restrict these types of things, if you're also restricting businesses equally in the same way, and that's what's happening, there is a systematic way that we are, quote unquote, reopening and the, the rules that apply to churches also apply to restaurants. It's not it's not like churches are being singled out. The problem is, is a church is where people congregate. And there's been studies. There was a study at a church choir practice. Were, what were the numbers, Brittany? Like, um, there, there were like 62 people in this choir practice for a couple of hours. Two and a half hours, I believe it was 61 or 62 people. One two person, died. One person was infected. And like... Two died. Three were hospitalized. I think there were 30 confirmed cases, 20 suspected. Like it, everybody had a bad time. Right. Because of one person. So c come on. This isn't about uh, my First Amendment right to pray, y'all. You can pray, pray, fucking pray. It's about gathering together and increasing the spread of this virus and killing your fellow congregants for whom you should have deep abiding religious type love. Right. That choir study was the CDC talked about three different studies in particular. One was a call center, one was a restaurant and one was a choir. And the, the goal of these studies is looking at super spreader events. And it appears as though super spreader events are tied to being in interior areas with 
like not a lot of ventilation where you're in close quarters with people talking, singing, laughing. Yes. Things that are going to cause those droplets to enter the air and then other people's faces. Yeah. And when you sing, you're really projecting them out there. And that's that's part of the benefit of masks, right? Is if if everyone is wearing cloth masks, then those droplets are going to have a more difficult time coming out of your face hole and spreading into yeah. other people's face holes. Yes. <laughs> no better way to say it than that. Science. We'd love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Taking care of biz. Republican governor of North Dakota, Doug Burgum. Doug Burgum. And I did not have that up as the music was playing. Were you scrambling? And I scrambled, but I got it. And you nailed it. I, I noticed how you stalled while you said North Dakota governor. Like, in your mind, you're you're saying the word, but in your mind, you're thinking, how the fuck do I pronounce this? How the fuck do I pronounce this? How the fuck do I pronounce this? <laughs> you know what? Do not give little background on how the sausage is made here. Is, am I right? Yes. <laughs> But you know what? No one would have known. Everyone knew. No one would have known. Well, once they heard the name Doug Burgum, they knew. So I know you're you're probably asking, what? What did this Republican governor of North Dakota do that has him featured in the Taking Care of Biz segment on I Doubt It with Dollamore? Well, he gave a tearful speech where he encouraged residents to stop the ideological and political debate on face masks. I would really love to see in North Dakota that we could just skip this thing that other parts of the nation are going through where they're creating a uh, a divide, either it's ideological or political or something uh, around mask versus no mask. This is a, uh, I would say, senseless uh, dividing line, uh, and it and I would ask people to uh, try to dial up your empathy and your understanding. If someone is wearing a mask, uh, they're not doing it to represent what political party they're in or what candidates they support. They might be doing it because they've got a five-year-old child who's who's been going through cancer treatments. They, they might have vulnerable adults in their life uh, who, are, who are currently off COVID and they're fighting. And so, again, I would just... Um, Love to see our state, as part of being North Dakota smart, also be North Dakota kind, North Dakota empathetic. So I love this. And this is kind of a theme on the show. If we were to talk about different themes that we talk about quite often, I think that wanting public officials who are empathetic and have emotional displays is a big theme. And I mean, they're dealing with life and death issues. They're dealing with life and life is emotional and so when you get up there behind the podium it just seems natural to me that at times you're going to be moved to tears and i appreciate this very human moment where in his plea to residents in his state that (laughs) that they see this for what it is it's it's not a political divide it is a matter of public health and you can contribute to the safety of other people that's it yeah, I, th- I think it also kind of pulls back the curtain and gives you a glimpse into how he thinks about things when he's making 
Decisions where there is really no no good answer. There's no good decision. Sometimes when you're in office, when you're president, when you're the governor of a state, there are no great options. Mm -hmm. There are just less bad options that you're going to make. And with the coronavirus, it's one of those deals. Because the economy has absolutely suffered. Tens and tens of millions of Americans are having a rough time because of this, the economic downturn unemployment, business owners, landlords, all these people. So it it isn't an easy decisions that they make, but it is nice to see a leader, a political leader who brings some empathy to the table when making decisions that are tough. You don't want some sociopath like a Donald Trump who doesn't give a fuck about the human cost. And it's nice to see, especially it's nice to see when a Republican is acting decent. Anyway, we'd love to know what you think. We're going to end it there. 657-464-7609. That is the voicemail line at which you can leave a fewer than three-minute voicemail. You can also email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We would love to hear from you. We try to design this show to be an amplification of your views and your questions and the conversation at large. Always try and move that conversation forward. So we will see you next time. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollimore, whose voice is going away, and this has been I Doubt.